Yo, dude. What's up? TARDIS. Mm. T-A-R-D-I-S. Time and relative dimension in space. You and I have not really talked about my love of Doctor Who. No, um, never. We've never like I. There's Doctor. I didn't even. In fact, we have so talked about it so little that I didn't even know you had a love for Doctor Who. Oh, it's deep. Mm. And I mean, I've, I've this mug that I'm holding that they cannot see right now. I drink out of as often as possible because it reminds mm. me of the Doctor Who universe that I love. But the TARDIS is so this see this uh, phone box. It's an old, mm-hmm. it's an old timey London phone box, like a, a mm-hmm. telephone box. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's his spaceship. Mm-hmm. But so it's it's relative dimension in space. So when you open it, it's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. And there's a whole ship in there, mm. and it just makes me happy. And. Uh, <laughs> And so one of the things that I want to do and when I have my ideal house is like have this room that is entered, like, but there's a phone box on the outside. Mm. So it doesn't look like, and then you open the door and you go in. It's like, oh my God, it's so much bigger. Mm. Like, yeah, Mm. right. That's creative. I like it. TARDIS. Get your Doctor Who on. Welcome back to the More in Common Podcast. I am your co-host, Keith, with your radio voice on, with my man. What is happening? I'm Rodney. I'm your other host, co-host, I don't know. Uh, And we are about anchoring humanity in compassionate conversation. And, you know, I just... I just think that compassion, we actually both agree on this. We think that compassion is easier to access than other things like, say, empathy uh, or sympathy, which is a whole nother conversation. But it's just easier to access. Like empathy requires you going out of your way sometimes to feel what they feel or understand what they're feeling. And that may not be something you can do because maybe you've never felt what they felt. Compassion, on the other hand, does not require this. It just requires you to say Mm. you're hurting you told me you're hurting you seem like you're hurting you're human i respect the thing the thing i love not to burst this down about compassion though versus empathy in particular empathy is very specific compassion is general to the human experience so no matter who it is i can look at someone and find compassion for even just the one small thing that at least allows me to see them as human so, and today we are with Jason Primrose and what a fire conversation and calm conversation we have about ego, about validation, about publishing independently since he is an independent book publisher coming out with his eight part series, um, first part of his eight part series and yeah, we just it, it's just a really good conversation and exploration of our human psyche. So as you sit listening to Keith's voice and you're like, why would I listen to this, though? Well, here's why. Let's say you need a little bit of extra belief in yourself. Maybe you need some in general. Maybe you don't have any. This is a great place to, to start that journey. 
maybe you have a, a creative endeavor that or any endeavor that you would like to take on and you don't know how to start, you don't know how to sustain. Maybe you're in the middle of an endeavor and you're feeling tired. You're not getting the response. You're not getting the follows. You're not getting the likes. Listen to Jason. Listen to his voice. Target in on it. And it will help you through the darkness and you will anchor on the goodness that is you, that you already are. And I'm going to stop because we have a good podcast coming up. I will say, oh, go Keith. Yeah. I was just going to say, you know, go to moreincommonent.com. It's not the best website. It's work in progress, but it's got everything we have, including our expanding consulting business. That's right. If you work for an organization or know of an organization that is trying to better its culture, hit us up. That can mean a lot of different things. It can mean diversity, it can mean inclusion, it can mean equity. It could mean this is just a place I don't want to work and I want to make it a place I want to work. Hit us up. Hit us up. On to Jason Primrose. And so what happens is that even though the ego is saying something over here about what it is you can or can't do, the vision is the strength that continue. You already know what you're working toward. So it's not a matter of like, if it's like when and how, like, how can I figure this out? Because I know where I'm going. So I, I think that like, I know I'm going to publish eight books in this series. So it doesn't, it's like, my ego could tell me that I that I won't do it, won't finish. It'll take me 20 years, 30 years. It, it'll never pop off, you know, whatever. But the point is, like, my vision for it being like... Jason has been obsessed with conceptualizing alternate worlds and characters since childhood. Their origins were devised as allegorical and subconscious outlets that expressed both his trials and triumphs as an LGBTQ plus person of color and struggles with finding his voice, focus, and purpose as a multi-hyphenate creative. Out of this, the Lost Children of Andromeda universe was born. Now, Primrose does have a hopeful worldview, even in a current climate that does seem a work of apocalyptic fiction. It makes the nuances of his storytelling more thoughtful and relevant. His creative gifts have powered a decade-long career in creative strategy, digital and experiential marketing, and influencer partnerships for key industries, from beauty to tech, from fashion to entertainment. Jason is still called on by agencies and brands alike to catapult products, messaging, and experiences to new-age consumers, championing diversity across all industries and campaigns. And we are thrilled to have him. Jason, hello, sir. Hello. Good to have you with us. I'm just excited. I just want to nerd out with another writer. This is dope. Uh, So look, to get into it, in the lead up, we asked you a question about difficult conversation and what's your favorite tip. And you have your go-to, but you're you're shifting to a new one. And you said, I can handle it is your favorite tip for navigating difficult conversation. What does that mean? Like, talk us through it. I think it applies even to more than just difficult conversations, but I can handle it is the thing you say when fear wants you to stop, stand still, run away, put up a wall, not be honest, like any of those things. 
the I can handle it works both ways. I can handle the truth, like saying it, and I can also handle the reaction or the response. And it's really important, especially because we live in a world built in validation. So I think that that's, it's just a, it's a tool to source bravery, I would say. That's, um, um that's money. I, I, I have been recently saying, uh, I am built for this and I never really thought about it as a way to manage myself in conversations or like the bravery aspect. It's just kind of like, I, I guess at the core, it's kind of that it's like, Oh, I can keep going. Like yesterday sucked, but it doesn't matter. Like I can, I'm built for it. I, but I, I, I like that frame that you just put around it. I'm going to put that around. Uh, I'm built for this. That's, um, and the validation piece, uh, what's, what's your personal relationship with validation? Um, we're in we're in an entanglement (laughs) um no i am i'm a recovering i don't even know what they would call them i want to make up a word right now but um a validaholic a a validatorian i don't know i'm learning very much where my validation tendencies come from and what they were like rooted in where they were birthed and implanted so I'm in the process of unlearning the need for validation, the belief that I need validation to be more specific. And so it's an interesting journey because it really is like, it's not about anybody else, but me looking at me and like, where are the places that I still seek validation and where are the places that I've figured out? Like it's un- that, 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 that it's not necessary. That doesn't change like my being to the core. So it's been an interesting awakening, I would say see how many places validation showed up in my life. And then because of Norm, Mr. Nice Guy, to see the where it, where it rooted itself in childhood and uh, how, how those dynamics started to manifest in my adult life completely unconsciously, subconsciously. Yeah, so it's, <laughs> it's a wild journey, but it's not something you ever, it's not something you ever, that ever goes away. It's something you become aware of and you work on and you are at choice with, but it's not, there's no such thing as like perfection in that I would never seek validation again. You are at choice with, I think that's what awareness does. Like, because then you get the choice. That's beautiful. You said that. Keith, what about you with validation? Like, where are you with it today? Yeah. It's interesting because I very much resonate with the the, the path and I'm, I'm curious even before I answer that, Jason, to understand, have you unpacked areas where you've sought validation more easily? Like, are there areas that it's been easier to unpack versus others that continue to to creep up and, and show up and they catch you off guard sometimes? Or where are you at on that journey right now? Okay, well, I can say that, like, professionally, when I worked with women the dynamic that would be created would be the validation cycle that I have with my mom Mm. or if an authority figure. Yes. So that means that the dynamic that I have with my mom is one of like hide and sneak is what I call it. So, Mm. uh, and I haven't worked at a corporate job in a while because I just couldn't handle the, that stuff. But what it means is that if I make a mistake, my tendency is not to want to, own it because of the ways that my mom and I had our relationships. And yet at the same time, because I'm seeking validation from this woman and the ways that I did it with my mom, um, as a kid, 
I will do anything to look as if I'm like good. So that means that I hide everything that's bad or perceived to be bad. Mm. So that's a place that I started to like stand for myself, like in more recent consultant type situations, but that were really, really toxic in my workplace relationships that actually made it difficult for me to function in corporate environments, especially when I was working under women. So that's a place I was able to unpack again through No More Mr. Nice Guy that I didn't know. The way I came around it though and started standing for it more recently without ever knowing the source was just being able to like stand in my power and and what I like what I want for a situation um and then being able to like uh be completely honest about like what it is I want regardless of the response or what it might look like like what my image might be as a result so for example if I'm negotiating like a contract the old me might have been more uh, agreeable kind of take whatever I could get and then try to work what I wanted into the relationship, um, you know, like through the relationship, like, oh, well, maybe if I do this one for this amount, then later I can ask for more mm-hmm. rather than yeah. being up front, like, this is what I want. So what I'm worth. Yeah. Yeah. So then the, the overturning of that is actually just a simple stand, right? Continuous, but simple stand for what it is that I value myself at and saying, this is what I want. And then if you can't come to me with, can't meet me there, then we don't actually have a relationship or anything else to talk about. Um, and being able to stand for that, not once, but twice, or, and then if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. So I was able to actually start to, again, making that choice. Every time it comes back, I have to choose, well, I, I get to choose again my, myself. So I think that's where it started, w- was like learning to choose myself, learning to to be clear about what I wanted, um, and then stand for what I wanted, no matter uh, how many times another person would try to get me to do what they wanted or something less than what I expressed. So um, what you just did right there real quick, uh, seems super small. I'm curious how long you've done it. I, I have to choose. I get to choose. You corrected it to, I get, I get to make the choice. Is that something you've done for a long time or is this recent or like in the last year, I, I've I've been uh, learning new language. Just, I mean, words are super powerful. So, yeah, getting to choose is an important distinction, especially in a situation like that where I get to choose myself. Is like, it's it's a it's a it's a practice. It's uh, words are immensely powerful, um, and I catch it. I I've done it. I my mom it used to piss me off. Like you you talk about the relationship with mom, like in the entanglement, but like, I'd be like, oh, I have to go to work. And she's like, no, you get to go to work. Like, you know, people don't get to go to work today. Don't get to earn a check. And I hated it. Cause it had this like edge to it. But as I've grown up, I'm like, oh yeah, I do get to go to work today. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, it's interesting on the validation thing. Cause like for me, it's been, I've, I've always had a hard time validating myself. Like, I've, I've historically needed people to tell me if I'm smart enough, if I'm attractive enough or whatever the case. And that has been a recent shift. Like I, it's almost born into my DNA for one half of my family to be insecure about life. And, and I say that sarcastically, but it's, it's been well, with, the, it's, with the power of words. It kind of is though. Cause it's, it's, it's learned. It is very much uh, uh, an ecosystem that I grew up with. And um, it was 
it's been a journey, especially over the last, I'd say, two years um, to, to really unpack the validation. It, in particular, as we go on this journey of building this business and coming to a point now where I don't need that validation because I believe and I have faith in what we're doing and how we're doing it. And we just got to keep doing it and make mistakes and fail. And, and they don't necessarily need people to tell me it's good. Yes, I'll need the financial validation at some point, but that, you know, that's, that's not too far in the distance. However, where it creeps up for me a lot is um, still intelligence. I'll go into shame spirals about, am I smart enough? Am I, I'm, I'm pretty dumb right now, right? And then female validation. I, it's not as bad as it was as it used to be, but it's definitely, uh, I, I feel it creep up once in a while. So it's a journey. I love that. I wanted to. Okay. So I want to add on that. Number one, you, you definitely, I'm about to send you nor Mr. Nice guy. Okay. I just pulled it up. I just pulled yeah, it up. Like, I definitely want to read this. I want to read this. Yeah. It's really good because it talks a lot about female validation and where mm. just how that comes. And I thought I was immune because I'm a gay man, but <laughs> you, you are not. Uh, is, it, is it mainly rooted? I mean, it, we all have moms. We all have females in our lives. Yeah, it's psychological and it's childhood. It's 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 the. I mean, a lot. We actually did an interview with with the author, and I was it was mind blowing. But the the idea that as a child we believe that everything is our fault, and mm-hmm. we form attachments to the things that happen to us, and and then perceive them and internalize them as as the reasons. For, so for like a parent, like my dad was not with me as a child. Oh, it's my fault. Dad doesn't isn't here. Um, or dad leaves. Things like that. You know, if anything bad happens around you, uh, if your needs aren't being met as a child, like we just start to believe that all those things are just how the world works. And then we don't really I mean, if we don't go to therapy or do anything to unpack that stuff, it just becomes it just shows up in patterns in our lives. So it it was interesting because I went through a transformation course last year and was learning and unpacking a ton of stuff. But I didn't know the again, the why, like the psychological piece of it, because it was ontological work. But the where validation keeps up for me, similar to you, Keith, is uh, is my writing. I've always written my whole life. I've never known known if I was a good enough writer. I still have, uh, you know. Now I've like built a community, and I still am like wondering if the writing is good enough. I'm wondering if I'm a good enough, like I've got these great visuals and this music and this whole world built out. And I'm like, but is the writing good enough? Am I good enough? And so that's the place where it creeps up. And and what really happens is that whenever I go outside of myself, meaning if I need to talk to someone to invest or, you know, someone's asking me more about like what I want to do with, with everything, it, all that stuff comes back up because then they start asking about numbers and sales and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, why didn't I sell more books? Or, and then I'm like, well, maybe the writing wasn't good enough. Oh, well, I've got this other thing coming out. Like, this is going to be so much better. And so it, it, it really, it really, really, really shows up in it. But it's still, like I said, inside of the idea that like, that I have to prove that what I've created is good enough rather than let it exist as it is. Mm. And then it just goes back to me. I could either try to prove that I'm good enough or just let myself exist, which is so much easier. So, more comfortable. <laughs> so much How about easier. you, Rodney? What's validation? How, what's your relationship with it today? Uh, today, I don't really think about it much, but like the journey has been quantum entanglement is how I'd explain. Like 
So like the the female validation part, like so it started out with it was kind of the the family way. It was almost very stoic. It was like you don't need validation, like which physiologically isn't true, but like it was just like kind of this wall put up of saying like if somebody did validate me, it's almost like no, I don't need your validation. I couldn't even accept somebody giving me praise or like bigging me up or saying something positive about me. So I think that's been one of the biggest hurdles for me to overcome is being able to accept honestly and and genuinely, like when I have done something well and somebody did appreciate it, but then like seeking female validation in, in many negative ways that that's been a big one, but then even male validation, like seeking it in negative ways. And both of my parents were there and I haven't really, I haven't really, figured out like how exactly that dynamic worked. But I think today it's more like, no, like I'm here and I do some things well, I do some things not well. And it's nice when I'm recognized. Like I love, I, I accept that feeling like, man, they liked my post. Like that's dope. Like I got to follow. Cool. But it's not like I'm logging in to see if I got to follow. Like, Mm -hmm. I guess I'm trying to navigate that middle space that inception space of like creating and, and, and existing at the same time. But yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, listen, I have to ask, I'm going to take a pivot on this conversation, especially anchoring on the idea of words mattering. Rodney and I talk about this on the show a lot and, and one-on-one conversation a lot is ego. And one of the things that he and I have recently started exploring, because there is the book, Ego is the Enemy, and there's a lot of negative energy around ego, which, you know, has has justifications. But we don't talk a lot about the, the positive aspect and angle of ego. And you said in an answer to a question about what advice you would give to people in exploring their, their creativity. Listen to your ego then learn to obey your heart. So that is such a cool sentiment. How do you, like when you listen to your ego, what, what is that experience? Yeah. You know, you're pointing to the, what do they call it? When you like the binary system, Mm -hmm. binary, everything's the idea of the positive negative thing. Yep. to attribute negativity to uh, automatically attach negativity to the ego. It's the same thing as like shaming the ego or shaming ourselves. And you, you basically, it's like silencing. But if I can't listen to my ego, I don't really have like the full story. I'm only, I'm only getting part of it. And, you know, the ego is meant to protect the ego uh, is is an important part of the conversation. So I just say, ego, come sit next to me and go ahead and say everything you want to say. And then I'll do something different. Like, I don't need to not listen to it and like shut it off for me to make a choice, you know, for me to still exist. So, um, so yeah, so I always say like invite shame in the house, like invite shame into the conversation, listen to it, talk to it. And then like, if we were having a party, like shame can come too. And then, and then, and then you just, you know, 
and you and you let it all be together and then you can and then you can make another choice because the energy around suppression oh my gosh there's it's so it takes a lot to keep things in to keep things away out you know so that's that's where that came from i listen to my ego and then i choose from like where i feel um intuitively especially if i'm uncomfortable <laughs> i I love that. Being an engineer, I look at it like accepting all the data points. Like if you cut out your emotions, which I've taught to do for a lot of my life, or if you don't listen to your ego, I'm not getting all the data. Like how can I make a good decision without all the data? And the thing about inviting them in or having the ego sit next to you, I've just recently, like last week started this meditation where like there's this part and it's like, go to your dark side, like the dark self. And like, just sit and like any of the judgments, any of the things that come up, just say, I love you. Like, mm. just let it all go and just be like, because what I've also learned recently is what you resist persists. Like, if you fight it, it's going to be that much stronger. It's like you're giving it, you're giving it your life force. So I, I love that sentiment that you have around like, yeah, like, come sit down, tell me what you know, and then I'm going to do what I got to do. I think people become afraid. And I say this from a personal sentiment, like become, I became afraid that like, if I listen to my ego, then I will become it. And mm-hmm. it's like, that's kind of silly. Like I'm not my ego. It's just a part of, it's a part of me. I get to make the choice. Yeah. And listening is an active, it's, it's an active thing mm-hmm. versus something being passive. When the ego is driving, it's a passive, you're just kind of letting it go. But listening to it is active, which means that, it's like someone giving you directions and you have the, G- the GPS up. You don't have to listen. I'm sorry. You don't have to do what they say necessarily. No, egos. Um, and it is, it, it definitely is there to protect. It's there to keep you in the space of comfort. So you don't run amok. But at the same time, ego is the force that's going to cause you to act. Like ego is the force that's going to say, I am good enough. And ego is the force that's going to drive you to, to say, I, you can write a book. I feel like I need to write a book. And if ego comes in and says, you can't write a book, like, do you, do you listen to it? Do you shame spiral? Do you do all of those things? Or is it coming in? It's like, no, I'm capable of doing this. Like it's a complex, complicated sentiment in in existence in our psyche but if we don't listen to it from time to time, pay attention to it, to what it's telling us, we could end up in a bad spot. We could end up making bad decisions or we could end up not making the decision that we really want to make. I mean, it, it's complicated, but it definitely is on a spectrum. I don't think it's bad. And I think it gives us the power to actually act if we, if we listen to it when it tells us we're good enough. Yeah, I think what I heard in that too is... Um... It's interesting that you brought up, I can't write a book. That's normally, that's normally where people stop, right? Like the, I want to write a book, but I just can't like the thought of all the things. So my ego actually tells me like things like I can't be a New York times bestseller, even though I, I know I am one. I'm just not, I haven't, no one knows yet, you know? Mm. Um, So my ego tells me things like that. My ego tells me things like you can't sell books. You can't sell things like not just books. Like you can't sell anything. Um, which is why I do like like soft brand marketing and influencer marketing and stuff like that in the past, experiential marketing, because it's not hard sales. So my ego tells me things like that. Mm-hmm. 
and the listening to it and then saying, well, you know what? Maybe, maybe I can't sell things or maybe I'm not as great at selling things as some other people, but that doesn't mean that this can't get sold. So that's normally where I bring in support. You know, if I know someone that's better at like digital sales or, or things like that than I am, then I, then I'll bring that person on and get supported around what I may perceive that I can't do or, or dive into learning more about it. But yeah, so the ego can be, if you listen to it, can be a great awareness, a great source of awareness because once we're we're like, we're trained up, you know, whether it be through transformation program or, or reading or podcasts or meditation or anything like that, I've never heard anyone say, turn off the ego or not listen to it. It's like, I I need to know what all of that, what, what all is coming in. And I own all receiving all frequencies. Yeah. It almost, I mean, it sounded like what you were saying there is, uh, it helps you improve. Like it's the extreme, like you can't do this. It's like, eh, like, okay, there are people better than me that, you know what? I'm going to go, I'm going to go find somebody who's better and learn from them. So that's, that's actually, that's a, that's a dope way to look at it. The, uh, the awareness of it, the observation, it kind of goes back to your, sentiment of the energy of repression is exhausting if you if you repress it and you don't pay attention to it it's going to take over and then you're going to constantly believe it and not know why whereas if you can observe that the ego is there telling you you're not good enough at any particular thing the great thing about existence is you can choose to do it anyway and like mm-hmm. i don't have to believe i'm good at it or bad at it I don't have to think I'm good at it or bad at it. I can still do it and see what happens. And then all of a sudden you do it. It's like us starting this podcast. Like, I mean, that ego of, oh, no, I mean, you guys aren't good enough. Like, no one's going to listen. No one cares about you guys. No one does that. No one does. It's like, well, let's just start a podcast. And then all of a sudden that no one's listening, no one cares story just kind of fades off and the ego takes over and does other things. Oh, it's never going to be big enough. It's never going to do this. And it's never going to, but you keep doing it. You know, you just keep going and you just keep moving and you get better. And all of a sudden that story that you've been told is all because your mind is telling you it's there to protect you from, from feeling negative feelings. But you know, it also prevents you from growing and, and stretching yourself beyond what you think you're capable of. I want to bring something into the conversation that you're that you're talking about, but we're actually talking not about the thing directly. And vision, mm-hmm. intention, and commitment are the three things that, for me, allow the ego to ride in the passenger seat and have me but be driving. I was just going to ask you, like, how do you do that? Yeah, okay, this is yeah, um, yeah. because, like you said. So what's more important, right? The story I have about what I think I'm capable of or my vision for the thing that I'm creating. So if your idea, if your vision for this podcast was so specific that if your vision for the podcast is so specific, like whether it was to like to bring more thoughtful conversations into the world or to champion creatives or like whatever it is that your vision is for the podcast and then the intention behind that right, will have you uh, create commitments and alignment with moving toward that vision. And so 
what happens is that even though the ego is saying something over here about what it is you can or can't do, the vision is the strength that continue. You already know what you're working toward. So it's not a matter of like, if it's like when and how, like, how can I figure this out? Because I know where I'm going. So I, I think that like, I know I'm going to publish eight books in this series. So it doesn't, it's like, my ego could tell me that I, that I won't do it, won't finish. It'll take me 20 years, 30 years. It, it'll never pop off, you know, whatever. But the point is like my vision for it being like a Harry Potter sized intellectual property, like that's there. So whatever I, I'm doing inside of my vision and my intention to inspire other creatives to in, to independently publish their work. And then I'm committed to that vision and, and creating programs around it and, and um, literature and experiences and like all of those things. My ego can say whatever it wants to say, because I've got this roadmap that I'm following. Like I say, turn off here. It's going to be, it's going to be crazy over there. There's mountains and stuff. Like you don't need to go over there, but I already know I have the path laid out. So I think that that, I think that that's what really, when I got clear on my vision, which was in the last two years about what I really wanted for like my life. And then when it became more less about me publishing my books and people, BIPOC people in particular, publishing their books independently, just because of the way the literature system works, then I was like, oh, well, it doesn't even matter. Like it's, it's, it's about more than me anyway. So I think that's another way, another place that ego gets gets listened to um, without necessarily needing to uh, sway the choice is when it's, when it, when it becomes bigger than like ourselves as well, especially when it comes to vision. I think what you just said is really important because you mentioned there's a couple of jump off points, like whether you're an entrepreneur or creative, creative entrepreneur or whatever, you mentioned the one, like people shut down the idea. Like they hear the first thing, like, oh, you can't do this. And they like, bam, I'm not going to write the book. But then there's the Maybe it's the first book or it's the first chapter or it's the first episode or it's the first painting or it's the first whatever gets done. And then you look at what you want it to be. Like you look at the Mona Lisa or you look at Joe Rogan or you look at Mm. the book that's your favorite book of all time. And you're like, God, this is shit. Like what I just did is shit. It's not that. And it's that seeing that chasm between where you want to be and where you are. And it's hard. It's hard to accept that and to keep going. But I think vision and intent, like specifically for for me, have kept me going sometimes with difficulty, but like they keep you keep like one foot after another, like Mm -hmm. just just keep going. And I think it's probably good to be honest about the gap of where you want to be. Right. So you can improve. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that that was that was super. I love how how you put that. Super helpful. Yeah. That was awesome. You you said something in that to inspire to independently publish. Yeah. I know that's super important to you. The independent publishing. Why inspiring independent publishing? Well, what I see is we we function in a lot of like outdated systems for everything. <laughs> everything. Yes, everything. You know, uh, the literature industry is fine, right? It's not overly complicated. It's just you have to move through a big machine um, in order to, I guess, reach audiences to get your stories to different places. 
And so a lot of times that's where people will, will feel like they need to stop. I mean, independent publishing is very popular now. I just don't know that it's as popular among underrepresented groups. So I would want a, a young a student, a, a youth, anyone who wanted to write stories or create comics or anything like that to know that independent publishing is not only a viable route for publishing stories, but it's also a viable route for like living, like actually thriving. You know, if you go and tell somebody in your family or I would tell somebody, oh, I'm going to write books now. People are like, okay, great. You know, I'm going to figure out how to publish all this independently and like make a living off of it. They're like, okay, cool. But I want, I, I want people to be like, yes, you can do it because look at Concrete Comics and look at Black Sands Entertainment and look at Lost Children of Andromeda, you know? So uh, to where it's like, you know, you think about Stephen King and J.K. Rowling and Neil Gaiman and like all the people like that, they went through traditional publishing routes. And so that's, that's the way people think that author success looks like, right? But there's plenty of independent publishers that uh, make a fine living. There's some that are actually building franchises right now, um, including myself. And so when, and they have diverse characters. So that's the other piece is like, I can write stories about myself, my, my people, who and, and what I identify with. And I can get that in front of people who want content like that. Whereas if you have to go through the whole system, like I'm basically waiting for permission to, to create. I'm waiting for permission to create and share. And the independent publishing journey is a fast track to the audience uh, that you want to impact. And that's for me what independent publishing has always been, but it became very clear, the impact piece of it. I'm like, who do I want to read this? And do I really need to wait four years or for someone to be like, yes, this looks like what we're looking for right now? Like, no. <laughs> so my mom does a lot of work in this space, um, specifically helping YA authors of color. She she was focusing on women for a while, but now she's just like BIPOC, like just helping authors get seen because that's a whole big part of this. And I think one of the big downfalls in the system is that it'll say something to like, say you lost children of Andromeda. It would say like, nobody wants to read that. Like there's not an audience because it hasn't typically seen that audience because it hasn't seen that content because it hasn't accepted that content because it hasn't seen that audience. So it's like this self-perpetuating loop of like, well, you just can't do this, but self-publishing has self-publishing kickstarting. Um, uh, you know, Indiegogo, GoFundMe, like has really created a space where independent creators can find their audience and turn out, turns out there's a huge audience that um, it, it'll be interesting. I wonder what will happen with the traditional publishing space. Will it adapt or will it just kind of, will it adapt? Will it stay what it is and just, there'll be other options or will it fizzle and, and morph? Yeah, I don't know. It's very, I mean, you, you have to get an agent to get a publisher and there's only so many agents and they can only accept so many authors. So it's not like, the, I wouldn't say the industry, I don't know if it's growing. Like, I don't know if people, there's more more people being like, I want to be a literary agent. And even if they were, it wouldn't grow the number of authors in the traditional publishing space too greatly. I went to a conference one time and they actually broke it down and it's kind of like trying to play basketball it's that same level of like, there's like hundreds of thousands of people applying for a company that only has 5,000 positions open or 4,000 positions open or a thousand positions open like a year. 
So that's the race you're in, right? And I think that traditional publishing is very specific in how they model and take things to market. And so if the vision is like, uh, I want to sell a bunch of books and be in a bunch of bookstores and, um, you know, go on TV and be in the tours and stuff like that, that's, you go that route because that's how they set it up. Um, but for me, like, I want to do library readings and like theatrical performances and I want to go to schools and, um, you know, I want to have students acting things out. Like, so, so like the independent journey is fun for me in that regard, because it's like, I get to do stuff like this. Um, I get to go on podcasts uh, and, and, and talk about, you know, Lost Children Andromeda in this way. And it's not scripted and it's not, you know, I'm, uh, it's, it's like free flowing. It's not like for a thing, you know, mm-hmm. I'm like plugging, but I don't know. It's, it's, it's like, it's about what you want. It's about what you want and like, what kind of experience do you want? And I think that whether you choose traditional or independent, I always say the work is still the same. So regardless, you're still going to have to do the same amount of work, the same rounds of editing, the, you know, same level of promotion, even sometimes more with independent with traditional because you have way more books to sell because there's actual inventory on the line and your bonus or your um advance on the line but yeah the work is still the same so whatever you choose just just know know what you're committing to hey all well we're gonna take a pause right there i hope you're enjoying this first half we're gonna bring you the second part in a couple of days but if you like what you hear so far share it Like it, leave us a comment, and hey, tune in in a couple of days, and we'll get you the second part to this.